You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today we have Eugene Craig, the former vice chairman of the Maryland Republican Party and entrepreneur. Uh, How's it going, Eugene? It's been good, man. Glad to be here at the Go team. You know, ready to have some fun today. Let's talk about your story. You uh, obviously uh, are uh, a leader in the Republican Party here in Maryland and and nationally, uh, up and coming star. But you don't come across as kind of like your Clarence Thomas oh, nah, style. Oh, got time for that. Mm-mm. Republican Party. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. So so let's talk about how did you get here and in, 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 in your story, your background. So, you know, I like to describe myself as, you know, 100% black, 100% Republican. Um, you know, my, my politics may lean right, but my culture is still, you know, 100% nigga. To be honest about it. You know, I'm 100% black. You know, it is what it is. Um, I'm a hip-hop kid. You know, I grew up, you know, you know, Jay-Z, Nas, Ether, Takeover Beef, you know, by the same token, you know, I, I grew up, you know, understanding that, you know, opportunity um, lifts people up. Um, you know, people should be free to make decisions for themselves. Um, people should be free to build the communities that, you know, they, they believe they want to live in. Um, and so that's where, you know, I, I've, you know, defining myself where my cross-section comes in. Um, so, you know, I've always kind of leaned to the right. Is that going back to high school? Yeah, going back to high school. I mean, I did my, you know, I went to a small private school. And uh, in order to graduate, uh, you have to essentially write a 20-page thesis on a particular topic. And my topic was uh, essentially a right versus left, uh, conservatism versus liberalism. And, um, you know, you know I've, I've leaned right. Um, and in college, you know, that kind of further developed, um, a little bit more nuanced um, and whatnot. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've discovered libertarianism at a, at a time. Uh, I was a campus coordinator for Students for Liberty, um, you know, part of that whole Ron Paul revolution in 2012. Um, and then, uh, you know, watched the uh, very, very slow yet fast uh, uh, decimation of the Republican Party over the last five or six years <laughs> uh, since then. But in that same time span, um, you know, got actively involved in 2012, also with uh, you know Dan Bongino's U.S. Senate campaign. There was a time when Dan actually was not off the rail, um, you know, and actually was actually a sensible guy. Um, he gave him a start. Um, started out as an intern. You know, two weeks later was a youth coordinator. A week later was a statewide youth coordinator, and then two months after that, uh, throughout the rest of the campaign, was Dan's body guy. Um, and then I learned a lot, you know, dude's a former secret service agent. So I learned how to read people, how to read situations in a totally different way. Um, you know, got to see, you know, political theatrics up close and personal, um, from a couple of different angles. Um, and, uh, you know, from there I just stayed active. Um, 2014 got elected vice chair of the Maryland Republican party and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> uh, what about your, uh, your parents and kind of, you know, did you grow up like a Cosby kid, kind of middle uh, class? I mean, you or know, I grew up middle class. You know, my, my parents, you know, professionals. Um, my mom's a market biologist. My dad was a doctor. Was a doctor. Um, you know, you know, taught me, you know, really, you know, great values. You know, hard work pays off. Um, you know, delayed they gratification. Oh, they're, they're hardcore Philly Dems. Okay. Although, um, so probably you went this, against the green. Yeah, I went against yeah. the green. Yeah. I'm a rebel, you know. But, um, you know, the, the good thing, you know, my dad's probably more self-moderate these days, though. You know, he, he's a Hogan fan. They both are Hogan fans. And so, you know, this is what it is. <laughs> Everybody's a Hogan fan these days. <laughs> you launched a, um, a political action committee uh, for uh, Kanye for president. Oh, right? yeah. And then so <laughs> Kanye was recently in the news, of course, with pro-MAGA statements. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very open that he's banging for MAGA. That's what he's representing. He's trolling for MAGA. 
how do you feel about that? You're the one who set up a oh, political action committee so, for him. <laughs> so that that's that was a fun time. That was actually a really fun time. So you know, during that time span, we had a uh, another pack. I forget the name of it. I've had so many packs. Um, it was essentially a uh, a actually young minority conservative fund. Um, where you know our our goal was uh, you know it's a group of us uh, young black Hispanic uh, conservatives. Um, we said, look, you know, we want to be able to uh, support and uh, candidates that you know that you know essentially you know want to help minority communities. And um, you know, so what I did was during the whole uh, I believe 2015 MTV Awards, uh, Kanye you know had his rant and his whole 2020 rant. Uh, so, you know, we, we had a pack and everything and, uh, you know, we want to support, you know, uh, candidates that supported issues that affected uh, minority communities. And so um, during the whole 2015 MTV Movie Awards, when Kanye had his epic rant, he's running for president. And I hit the squad, I hit the group. I'm like, hey, guys, I think we might be living in the moment here. And, um, you know, I just, you know, one thing when I work with a team, uh, at least, you know, especially when I'm working close to people, I try to make sure before I do anything crazy, um, they're okay with whatever potential blowback that may come. And they were fine with it. So... Around midnight that night, uh, we figured we'd be doing it under the cloak of darkness and nobody's paying attention. You know, of course, we ignore RSS feeds, right? We filed the paperwork. Um, by 8 a.m. that morning, I had 37 press requests for interviews, quotes, and all the good, uh, all the good jive. Um, I gave my first quote to Dave Weigel at the Washington Post. Um, it was only because I knew him from his Bloomberg days. Um, during that time span, I was also working with uh, Rand Paul's uh, presidential campaign, um, essentially one of the Maryland co-chairs and uh, one of the African-American and uh, young professional co-chairs. And um, we had fun with it. Um, after the Weigel piece hit, AP picked it up and everybody else covered Was it about fun or were you really thinking about hey, Kanye could really be in the race and like... Well, I, I mean, I think, I, I will say this, you know, if I'm looking at Kanye circa, you know, 2003 to probably through Watch the Throne, Dark Twisted Fantasy, you know, through Yeezus, you know, Kanye is actually, you know, a woke dude that, you know, probably falls within the mainstream of, of black political thought and, and mainstream political thought. You know, we're talking pre-Maca Kanye here. Um, yeah, and that was my also thought process is this, any party that takes Donald Trump seriously as a candidate, sure as hell could take Kanye West seriously as a candidate. Um, and so there was some level of seriousness there, but there was also some level of, Hey, let's capture this moment. You know, you know, let's capture it before somebody else does. And, um, that's what we did. You know, there were a couple of folks that bought websites and this, that, and third, but you know, our one leg up was that we filed official paperwork, baby. <laughs> we filed actual, you know, federal election committee paperwork uh, on it and whatnot. And um, and from there, you know, we have fun with it. What do you say to the folks in the community who say, "Look, we need to stop getting our political guidance, cultural guidance, from rappers, from singers, from dancers, from comedians, where we over we're overweight." leaning on entertainers and celebrities and artists for serious issues in the community, meaning that uh, we overvalue them uh, and we need to get away from that. So, you know, hey, why would, why would, why would we assign so much currency to, to Kanye to really, you know, have an impact uh, on some of the, the problems in the community? Because the thing is, you know, I, I will say this. Um, it's a conflict. It's a conflict I even dealt with. Um, part of it, uh, in, in particular, to you know, there's a micro issue and a macro issue. The micro issue, in particular, to Kanye, 
Kanye is in a rollout right now for his album and whatever else he's trying to sell is GT-wise. Um, he's been in a constant rollout for about a year now. Um, and that's what I kind of attribute a lot of this to. Um, you know, I don't, you know, defend his Trump antics. I don't defend his MAGA antics. I don't agree with them. You know, I was... You're not binging for MAGA yourself. No, I, I was the well, one of the biggest never-Trumpers and current and still never-Trumper, you know. Would you come out and say, to, to your point, like, fuck MAGA? Fuck MAGA. Fuck... I mean, I don't have a custom, but it's fuck Trump every day of the week. You know, literally, you know, twice on Sundays. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I literally supported three other candidates to try to stop this guy. If you're a Republican, I imagine that you're, you're in a very lonely position as a black man. But when you come out and say, fuck MAGA, how do they respond to that? It's a juxtapose. Um, you know, you know, there are some Republicans that actually understand it's like, Hey, look, you know, Trump, you know, thinks Mexicans are rape, you know, rapists and murderers. You know, he still thinks, you know, Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Uh, I mean, you know, he still has not apologized for Central Park Five. So, you know, to some degree, I get a pass. There's some white folk that actually, like, you know, despise it. Um, and it's, it's a mix. Um, it's the same token I deal with black folk that, you know, some folks see past, oh, damn, you're cool as shit. You know, you're cool for Republican, you know. Um, the others that just, you know, just don't understand it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an issue of, you know, when you get down to the individuality of the person, you know, the, the red or blue hat really kind of doesn't matter. For folk that say, hey, we probably shouldn't lean on our entertainers, our, our artists for uh, political guidance, I'm, I, I, I somewhat disagree. Uh, I think those folk don't, don't necessarily know their history. Um, you, know, you don't have you know, the overwhelming success of the Civil Rights Movement without the Black Arts Movement. You, know, you don't have you know, King's overwhelming success without folk like Harry Belafonte and Aretha Franklin helping fund these movements. And the, the, bigger, the bigger thing is that what artists and rappers and hip-hop is able to do with their reach is literally elevate an issue overnight. You know, when you're able to get to the folk that drive the culture, you know, which culture will always you know, be 10 steps ahead of politics because politics moves slow. Yeah, to me, that's a separate issue, though, where... Uh, I get that. Hey, we want the X clans, the public enemies. We want Jay Z talking about all this conscious stuff. That's good. Uh, but when it comes to policy and how do we solve these complex problems, uh, do we want to even give Kanye one minute because he says he doesn't read books? Oh, uh, yeah, which I think is absolutely crazy. But I mean, it, I think it falls on the political side and political, you know, the individual side to educate. I mean, we're not. Everybody's not going to be a pusher T that's been in and you know working in criminal justice reform for the last twenty years. You know, you know, you're going to have folk that have reached like a Kanye. I mean, just imagine, you know, you had, you know, somebody actually was able to sit Kanye down and say, "Listen, these are your talking points. This is what this is. This is the crust of the issue." Then he's able to go out and throw and throw that on his megaphone. You could probably see movement a lot of things overnight. If you properly inject the culture into it, is Kanye Uncle Tom? No, I, I don't believe in using the term. I wouldn't qualify him as such. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I <laughs> yeah, I know some folk that probably fit the the uh, description perfectly, um, but I, that's not a you know it's not a term that necessarily used. Um, why not? What does the black community uh, get wrong about brothers in the Republican Party? What would you say? Um, I don't put on the black community. It's the Republican Party uh, job to outreach, do outreach and engagement. It's, it's, black, it's, it's black Republicans' job to do outreach and engagement. I don't think the community gets anything wrong. I can't get upset with you or fault you if you never come speak to me 
if you've never come engage me and my only perception of you is what I see. And if all I see is, hey, you know, you know, Ron DeSantis is, is telling him he's going to monkey it up or, you know, Donald Trump saying Central Park Five is, is, is still guilty, you know, 20, 30 years later. You know, if he's saying Barack Obama's born in Kenya, I mean, if, if that's all I see, you know, if I see Steve King saying, hey, you know, these guys have, you know, you know, you know, you know, cast aside of cantaloupes to carry marijuana. You know, if that's all I see, I can't fault you. You know, I can't fault the community. I put it on the RNC. I put it on state parties. I put it on local parties. So from your perspective, as a Republican. I, as, a, as a vice chair of a state party with a huge black population. You're saying black folks are right and banging against the Republican Absolutely. Party. Absolutely. It's, it's not my job. It's not my job. It's, it's, as a voter, it's the parties, the candidates, the operations job to come and engage me. You know, it's not my job to come out to you and say, hey, take my vote. You know, just take it. No, it's your job to come and earn it. And 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 black and you know and Michael Steele will tell you the same thing. K. Coles James will tell you the same thing. Um, you know all the black Republican elders will tell you the same thing. Trump uh, obviously has a cloud of um, treason, collusion, cheating on his wife, sexual assault, corruption, money laundering. So there's a big cloud over Trump, as as as, as you know. How do you? Ex- what do the Republicans tell you in terms of? Hey, we still have to support him even though that these clouds are all over him in terms of like, Hey, we're supposed to be about moral, you know, moral values. The rules of this game has changed. You are in a fight for power an absolute power. You know, historically the U S Senate has been the, uh, the water on the fire to cool things down to slow things down a bit without a 60 vote filibuster. Absolutely. It's a simple majority. We get whatever we want as you know, whoever has a majority. Um, and that's what you're seeing now. You know, folk want judges. They want to put on life, you know, get, uh, develop a whole generation of judges on the, on the federal benches and appellate benches. That's what you're getting. You know, you want to fast track policy or probably or another way to take in decades. I mean, policy is written in decades. I mean, it took, you know, we got Obamacare 20 years later after Hillary pushed Medicare, essentially it was Medicare for all, which is a Heritage Foundation idea <laughs> that Newt Gingrich pushed shortly before that. Um, the irony of it. Um, you know, so, you know, the thing is that you know, what folk understand is due to Trump's ignorance, because the guy is very ignorant. He does not know much when it comes to policy. You know, they give him, you know, talking points and he does not divert from them. And when he does divert, we see what we get, you know, um, wildest hour long press conferences in the world. Um, the thing is that is this what congressional Republicans have understood is that they have absolute power right now. They have a president that literally will sign anything they put in front of him. I mean, it's the truth. You know, I mean, he didn't know what's in a tax bill. You know, he's not reading, you know, a thousand page bill. He doesn't know what's in this, you know, you know, monstrosity you know, monstrosity of a, you know, three point eight trillion dollar budget that would just pass. You know, he doesn't know, you know, how the you know, adding a trillion dollars to debt is going to come and devalue the American dollar and hurt, you know, American families that he, you know, cares to claim about I mean claim claim to care about. Um and so, you know, that's what that's what they understand. And so it becomes, hey, you know, we have this window to get whatever we want. Let's get whatever we want and what we can get. And so what do you see? You see an expansion of, 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 of Patriot Act powers. You know, do, do. So it's just a matter of, hey, we know uh, he's most likely corrupt. He could be an asset yeah. of a foreign uh, Russian government. Uh, but we're getting all this stuff. We, we're getting all this stuff, and we know that he won't be impeached as long as we control one house of Congress. And so essentially— we're okay with dabbling huh? into treason, corruption, money laundering, as long as we get this stuff. We're okay in dabbling in absolute power. Lindsey Graham laid it out for you the other night, the other day during the Kavanaugh hearings, very clearly. 
you know, part of, you know, while he's pointing the finger at the Democrats about absolute power, you know, folk forget that they kept Marilyn Garland's seat, Marilyn, Marilyn, Merrick Garland's seat open for 10 months, you know, just for the opportunity for Trump to come in to make the appointment, you know, a month after the election. Yeah. So if the Republicans are going to ignore a lot of the uh, unpatriotic stuff that, that Trump, I believe, has dabbled in or has uh, participated in, uh, why why hasn't uh, 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 do you think the public linked uh, the Republicans being okay with Trump being soft on Russia, working with Russia, most likely doing shady and corrupt things with Russia, but then coming back on the other side and saying that these black athletes are unpatriotic, but I can work with foreign intelligence agencies to accomplish something. But that's patriotic because I'm powerful and white and I get to define what is patriotic and what is well, not. Well, I think it's part of it is, is, is rushing the Russia collusion case is a very complex issue. Um, you know, the average pu- member of the public couldn't tell you not one of the names of the Russian actors. They probably couldn't tell you who Roger. No one knows the name of Kislyak. Nobody. They probably could not pronounce. They don't Kislyak. know the most. Likely, <laughs> they don't know most likely he was the but, handler. But but I but, but I tell you, take I take it a step further. They could probably tell you who Roger Stone is, you know. And so you know what you have is you know one issue is really simple. One issue is really you know compl- complicated. You know if I come and I tell you, hey, it's unpatriotic. That's something that I understand and I feel. And but you know also I mean the polling is also pretty split on that. I do think there's a huge pushback from the public. I mean we've seen it. You know we saw it with Doug Jones and Alabama. And part of that was you know Roy Moore being so bad. But you know one more time you know even with horrible candidates when you have a state like Alabama where your typical Republicans run up the board twenty points. You know it's a little bit more than Roy Moore being a child molester there. <laughs> um, you know but you're seeing it and I think you're going to see it come you know November sixth and you're going to see a, swi- a sweep across this country that you know very well may turn both houses of Congress over to the Democrats in a major way. Have you ever crossed over to vote for a Democratic candidate? I haven't. Um, you know I've been there have been times where I've written in candidates. Um, I just haven't had a you know Democrat that I feel comfortable voting for. Um, and part of that is you know. I, I'm, I believe people should be able to make their own choices for their lives. I believe people should be able to keep their money. I believe, you know, you know how to spend your money much better than any government or, or you know, politician does. And it goes for Republicans or Democrats. Um, you know, I am openly public supporting Beto O'Rourke right now. Um, I think Ted Cruz is pure hot fucking trash. Um, you know, his stance on Botham Jean, his stance on, you know, other police shootings. Um, you know, listen, I, I, I'm, he reminds me of Bobby Kennedy a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's, you know, it's, it's going to get interesting down there. I mean, my thing is this, you know, I'm a, uh, fiscal conservative. I'm socially libertarian. All that shit goes the fuck out the window. The second you tell me that you don't care if, you know, I die the next day, you know, by a, a bullet from a, a, a actor of the state, an actor of the government, you know, that goes out the window. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, me surviving as a black man supersedes everything. Um, you know, and so, you know, from that perspective, you know, I'm supporting the you know, Beto O'Rourke, um, you know, warming up a little bit to uh, to uh, Gillum, you know, on the economic side. And you know, I just can't get with it, to be honest with you. But a lot of folks in our community, they say. Barack Obama, you know, he's recently uh, said, just vote, just vote. You guys are making it too complicated. Just vote. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have people who will say our people died for the right to vote. Just vote. You're doing the community a disservice. You're setting us back when you do not vote. But my point of view is that the Democratic Party has abused the black support 
promiscuously for so long that if we're supporting them at 90%, actually not voting is a weapon for this corporate machine that's been abusing you. So, so essentially, the uh, not voting strategically in an organized way, if people are just going to say, hey, you know, you niggas going to be voting anyway yeah. at 90%. So I don't got to do much. Hey, you know, maybe the community needs to consider we need something hanging over where we may not show up if you don't. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you a better scenario. What if there was actually an alternative for, for you to vote for? That's where this is where Republicans fuck up. All right, I'll give you an example. Baltimore City's a complete shit show right now. Man, I had this on my list. Yo, you know, I, I was driving driving through the hood I, the a, other day. A complete shit show. The roads are fucked up. The police department's fucked up. There are no fucking jobs. I'm gonna say fuck a lot here. There are no fucking jobs. You know, businesses are fucking struggling. Um, you know, and and Catherine Pugh and the city council has has time to fucking deal with styrofoam fucking containers. It was enough for me to call in an INTQ and say, really, this is what we're fucking dealing with, styrofoam containers, when you have an out-of-control rat problem, when you have you know potholes that are causing bubbles in people's tires and breaking rims left and right, when you have a dysfunctional mass transit system, when you have a police department, where you have officers that are trying out for Beltor 332, the next MMA you know event, rather than actually doing community policing. We have an out-of-control drug problem. I mean, you know, this is what you decide to focus on. Now, part of the issue, and this is, this is in Baltimore representative of Chicago, of New York, of Miami, of, of Houston, of Atlanta, of a lot of major black population centers, is that the local Republican parties are so fucked up that people don't have an opportunity for an alternative. Now, I'll present you with a different scenario. All right, let's, we're, in, we're in Maryland. Governor Hogan right now, in the last couple polls, you know, even going back to about to April, has been polling somewhere between 25%, 35% black vote, which is unheard of for a Republican. That's his entire margin when it comes over being over Ben Jealous. You know, 16 points, it's pretty much 35% that he's pulling black votes from Jealous. Um, you know, and so the difference is that in that particular race, and this could be a model going forward for Republicans, is that rep black folk have an alternative. But could you? I mean, I mean, you're saying that he's a real alternative, a real alternative that's not kind of anti-black. Not no, a, a real, a real, a real alternative. Um, but the thing is this, you know, I told I told a buddy that works for a uh, prominent member of the CBC, I said, y'all could probably double your numbers overnight. I said, you know, if if you guys supported, you know, black candidates in places that, you know, aren't necessarily majority minority districts. I said, I said, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's I think it's ridiculously crazy. And now even we can use Maryland, we can use, you know, Congress that in the state of Maryland. You know, where Democrats have controlled things for the last 50 or so years that we're just now getting the criminal justice reform. You know, we're now, you know, I mean, when you I mean, 20, I would say this, if I'm a Democrat, if I'm a black Democrat in 08 and 09 and I just got a, a black president elected, you know, <laughs> health care is cool. You can fuck up the health care system if you want. But, hey, you know, we got folk that are hurting in the black community that just turned out of record numbers. You know, they may not be donors, but they gave you the votes that went. You know, dollars don't vote, people vote. And I think, you know, part of it, one more time, part of the issue is that, you know, Republican Party, and I put the fault on the party. I don't put the fault on the community. I put the fault on the party. Has not given the black community an alternative. But back to strategic non-voting, you do believe that more black voters need to weaponize Absolutely. not voting. Every other yeah. group does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you know, you know, conservatives have been, um, you know, 
weary of you know their typical suburban white moms you know not voting or not turning out not turning out is an option <laughs> but the thing is this it only works when you when there's a threat of your person losing to somebody else so you know if if you know i use baltimore city if Catherine Pugh, you know has a no-name candidate on the other side of the ballot you know even if half of the folk that typically would turn out don't turn out she's still going to run up numbers and win so you know, I think, I mean, I think, you know, non-voting when coupled with a viable alternative can be very powerful, but you have to have the threat of that person taking a loss, taking an L, like, you know, literally hold this L for the next four years. Yeah, I think about um, how a David Ax Axelrod or a Mark Penn or a Hillary Clinton, how these people think uh, is, hey, if you niggas are coming out 90% for the Democrats anyway and you don't have anywhere to go, why should I invest? Why should I throw out all these goodies? Because you guys are going to vote for well, us well, anyway. Well, this is the thing. I hope Hillary and Democrats learned their lesson in 2016. 20, no, they haven't. 20, I don't think they have. 20,000 votes in Michigan, 100,000 votes in Florida, and Hillary Clinton's president right now. Yeah. You know, you know, but a big part of that, you know, was that, you know, Team Hillary essentially said, fuck black voters. You know, you know now, now I'm going out on a limb and taking Amorosa's word for that. Um, as somebody that was at that table at the time, I wasn't, she was at the table, I went at the table, but you know, looking at the way they engaged black voters, you know, they didn't put the money behind it. Roland says all the time, you know, he told team Hillary, listen, y'all might want to fucking, you know, put your money, you know, where your mouth is when it comes to black votes and black engagement. You know, Donna Brazil said, you know, she had to go beg them for money to actually turn some stuff out. Yeah. And so, you know, the thing, you know, you know, I'm pretty sure they haven't learned their lesson, um, only because the hate against Trump is so bad. But the thing is this, you know, if Hillary turns out 20,000 more voters in Detroit and Flint, she wins Michigan. Would, would you agree with this, that based on the lack of options for the Democrats, getting black voters on board is the cheapest in the country, meaning, that, meaning that we flip elections, we turn elections, we have a lot of power, not financial power, not yeah. PAC power, not lobbying power, but at the voting Actual vote. But they can get our vote the cheapest in the country. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's the lowest cost for vote, you know, of any party and, you know, any election, you know, you can, any election. But I, I will say this, 2020 coming around, um, if I'm black voters in the Democrat Party, I'm saying, fuck Iowa, fuck New Hampshire. The first primary that you're going to take seriously is South Carolina. And you can go to Nevada after that. But when Super Tuesday come around, we better see you in every goddamn hood. In our community, we have this thing, uh, hey, what's your top five, uh, dead or alive? But what's your top five in terms of policy specifically for black voters in what you put attacking lobbyist corporate money and politics in the top five? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You'll never be able to get rid of lobbyist corporate money. It's not about getting rid of uh, all of it. but I, I mean, I mean, the only, the only way you, you do is... is systematically over probably a 30 40 year time span or 20 30 year time span elect folk um that just say hey you know i'm not meeting with lobbyists or i don't care for lobbyists i mean you know i'm a huge justin mosh fan uh, uh out of michigan sixth you know justin's a great guy um young dude um republican libertarian republican but you know he doesn't necessarily he doesn't really take meetings with lobbyists um you know he has issues that he cares about and he has his stances and they are what they are you take it or leave it you're only going to come across a justin once every once in a while yeah uh i would argue that it needs to be in the top five across the country uh for our people because a lot of the things that we're working towards uh uh it moves slower 
because it's competing with corporate voices out of Google. You know, he's has his, uh, Google has had it, the claws on the Democratic Party, or Facebook, or the oil industry, uh, or some of the the, the banking industry. We're say, competing. Well, well, yes and no. I will say this. Um, part of it is that these industries are able to work through party structure. The bigger, the, I think, the bigger issue when it comes to black voters, black electeds, is dealing with party structure. You know, Ben Jealous right now in Maryland is dealing with a party structure that does not want him as their nominee, so they're not endorsing him. They're not turning out the way they normally would if one of the other guys, one of the other guys, would have won. What's that but, about? Well, it's, it's it's well for them, they lose power with a Democrat governor. You know, Mike Bush and Mike Miller, you know, the heads of the respective houses of Maryland GA. You know, they 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 now had the control to the power of the governor if he wins. Um, as the new de facto head of their party. But when it comes to money and politics, party structures up until about, about 18 years ago could determine who were the nominees, who were the players, who got contracts, who got hired, who got fired, you know, who got elected, who were going to back, you know, what candidates are dead on arrival. I actually think, you know, and, and Democrats are waking up to this now, um, you know, I think, you know, they'll open up the floodgates with Citizens United and Super PACs have leveled the playing field dramatically. You know, you can see, I use Florida, for example, you can see Tom Steyer come in and drop, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars, five million dollars on a, on a candidate and say, listen, I want to make you viable overnight. Um, you know, it's what kind of, it's what fueled the Tea Party wave in 2010. It's what fueled, you know, the Democrat, last couple Democratic, uh, uh, semi waves, don't call them waves, but semi waves. You know, it, it, what, it, what, what it allows is the mobilization of resources in a way that can combat a party structure. Um, otherwise, I mean, which only could be matched by a person self-funding if they had the resources to do it. What are your thoughts on uh, breaking out the box of a two-party system? Should it, uh, there be more energy to try to break out that box? And we need a third, we need a third or fourth option. I, I, I will say this. I think you need a third or fourth option. I think a third or fourth option would <laughs> Congress would get really interesting <laughs> uh, really, really quickly. Um, but, you know, I think the way it stands right, the way things stand right now, I mean, the Libertarian Party is a joke. And I have some folks that are from friends that are LP and the Green Party is also a bigger joke. Um, you know, it's going to take, you know, them winning some like, you know, I think the LP could we're just talking about what we have what we have to work with. I think the LP probably could be a viable third party 10, 15 years down the line, which is you know, a short period of time. But it's going to take them winning some elections and building got a bench and, and you know, getting a W somewhere. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think you know, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I think, you know, I don't think. People aptly fall within traditional left-right, conservative, Democrat, I mean, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican norms. Um, you know, if you ask me, you know, depending on what issue, you know, the Republican Party, you know, as a whole, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, represent, you know, every issue, where I fall on every issue. With Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, they weren't looking for any handouts, uh, you know, they were really about, hey, I got to go build my future. I have to go rationalize my future. I'm not waiting for this country, our white America, to change. I'm going to go do the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And so nobody helped Elijah Muhammad uh, in terms of building uh, the the empire, uh, the, the institution out uh, where you saw businesses across the country sprout up. Uh, you saw international trade sprout up, but they weren't like, hey, I need some help. 
you know, they, they knew yeah. the country was racist, but they're like, hey, I still got to, I'm not waiting for this man to change. I got to go do the damn thing. And I think that's where, uh, you know, I think that's something that black America could learn from today. Um, you know, I, I've always, I've always said that, and, you know, if I, if I, if I actually ran for mayor in 2020 in Baltimore City, you know, moved to the city and ran for mayor, the first thing I would, from top of the agenda, be a thousand new black businesses in the city. Um, you know, they say average small business, you know, creates probably about somewhere between 10 to 15 jobs. You create 10,000, 15,000 jobs right there in the community overnight. Um, and there are ways to do it. Um, you know, there are ways to do it. Uh, but I think that's something that, you know, I think black America should revisit, should, you know, turn back to. Um, I think, you know, probably if you, you the moral and, you know, self-cleansing and all that, that aspect of it probably Folk probably won't touch that today. Yeah, that's a different level of discipline. <laughs> yeah, but if you were to walk into the hood or any or any you know de- economically depressed community and say, "Listen, you know, we're going to come in and put money in everybody's pocket. And this is how we're going to do it." You know, essentially take that Rock Nation model and apply it, you know, to small businesses. I think you you see a new a new whole entire new generation of Black wealth develop. And how did that message of, "Hey, we need to clean ourselves up." Uh, we need to unify and work together. We need to invest uh, and we need to do for self, uh, right? We're responsible. We got to build this thing up, right? And so the, a lot of the famous leaders were, were preaching do for self. Uh, but now they're throwing a lot of people in boxes. Of, hey, you're blaming the victim. Uh, hey, you can't do anything. Uh, we got to wait for the government to change. Uh, there's so much racism. You're not going to move the needle. Uh, uh Hey, this is, you know, you can't blame the victim. I mean, I think it starts with one individual at a time. And I actually think it may be a little easier these days, a lot easier. Um, they did all that without the Internet <laughs> or without, you know, real mass communication. Um, and we have those tools. So I think, um, I think the opportunity is there for it. Um, is the willpower there? That's, I think, something to be determined. Uh, I'll run down top five. Starting off with business and economic, business and economic development. Um, you get folk, you know, money right, you're building families. Um, you get folk money right, you're building futures. You build, get folk money right, you're building opportunities. Um, you want to make communities safer, you know, alleviate the stress that's driving a lot of that um, uh, instability and, and economic depression and uh, social depression. Um, number two, I'm probably coming to deal with education. Um, you can't reasonably tell me that, you know, you're going to reelect somebody that is dealing with, you know, $3 billion deficit and school construction and fixes. Sorry, that's sad. That is piss poor. Um, so, you know, you probably come in and you, you fix your school, you know, you fix and then you're taking care of the next generation overnight. Um, then dealing with criminal justice reform in a major way. Pre-trial detention, um, only locking up probably the most serious of offenders, you know, repeat offenders, repeat violent offenders. Um, you know, looking at marijuana, um, looking at what California just did, um, where they're pretty much automatically wiping out uh, previous convictions that probably wouldn't be convicted under the current law. Um, and, you know, we're doing it under, under the auspices of keeping families together and rebuilding families. Um, you know, somebody, you know, you can get locked, you know, you can, yesterday we had a massive, you know, mass bailout around the country. You know, the, the reality of it is this, you know, you could be charged with the crime, be given a, a, a hefty, you know, you know, bail bond amount, you know, you can't meet that. So you're sitting for the next three, four, five, six, seven, maybe a year or two 
while your entire family's destabilized. You know, that's crazy. You mentioned criminal justice uh, reform, uh, but, you know, when Trump was elected, a lot of the private prison stocks went up like 150%. Huh. They're like, hey, uh, the Obama administration was coming against us. Now MAGA's back. They've been lobbying Trump. They're close to Trump. The private prison stocks are like, yes, well, you know, I, I we mean, need to lock up more people. Well, I'll tell you this. It's not even that. It's not necessarily locking up more people. It's immigration. Yeah, that too. We're, that we're, too. We're, all the kids, all the, all the, you know, the roundup and, and, and uh, ICE and uh, ICE going and raiding and grabbing people that are, they're yeah. being held in private prisons. You know, while prison reform's happening on one end, you know, Immigration is what's keeping these beds still full. Yeah, it goes to the point that this is another interest lobbying group that buys uh, uh, policy decisions uh, in Washington. They're, they're the biggest. Uh, they're the, they're, big, yeah, they're yeah. the strongest. And, and so, but but what you were saying that you wouldn't prioritize kind of going after uh, the lobbying of the promiscuous lobbying of private prison groups. They want to get their stock up. Huh. They want to lock up more people. They want to make more profit. And hey, you know, let's figure out how do we we stop allowing uh, these lobbyists to drown out our votes. Part part of the issue is this: because something is outlawed, doesn't necessarily mean something's going to be stopped. You know, all of our major drugs have been outlawed for decades. I'm pretty sure all everyone in this room, if they wanted to, could probably walk out of this building and within a, probably a five block radius whatever drug they wanted it's the reality of it lobbying you can outlaw it tomorrow it's just going to resurface in a new way i'm of the belief that in order to combat something with a beast you have to create another beast of equal or bigger size how that beast takes form you know is to be debated but, you know, I don't think we will ever be able to deal with, you know, cigarette lobby or a, uh, a uh, private prison lobby or a gun lobby or, you know, any of these major lobbies that have a stranglehold on a lot of, you know, elected officials. But what you can do is come provide positive incentive. I'll, I give, I'll, I'll you know, give it a little bit more plainer terms for the listeners. NFL, right? People boycott NFL. I think boycott NFL, you know, is, is ineffective. I'll tell you why. You can't boycott something that's already huge and ubiquitous. But what you can do is provide positive incentive and positive reward for positive activity. So you say, oh, hey, you know, Kenny Stills and, you know, Eric Reed and we're going to be, you know, still kneeling and whatnot. You know, I may not, you know, be able to do some, take, you know, do some damage to NFL. But what I can do is support their efforts and what they're doing. And, you know, push and provide a positive reward. And I think the same applies to lobbying um, in this country. Now, you're not going to be able to, you know, we're not gonna, you're not going to be able to, you know, take down the, 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 uh, the, the, the private prison lobby. But what you can do is say, hey, you know what, over the next five years, we're going to build up the criminal justice reform lobby to be bigger than the private prison lobby. And every single elected official in this country has to now come to us because we can raise the money and we can turn out to voters. And we decide if you win or lose. Now you're talking about just kind of interest groups. Hey, who has the bigger, uh, who the has biggest the bigger wallet? Uh, who has the best organization? Yeah, that's what it comes um, down to. Yeah, I just think that if money is more influential uh, than voting, for example, Barack Obama, mm -hmm. one of the Facebook co-founders 
help Barack Obama get elected uh, from a digital marketing perspective. Uh, Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, Google, uh, they saw Barack Obama as an ally and you didn't have much talk of regulation over eight years, right? These companies are becoming uh, monsters uh, and monopolies. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Barack Obama is considering his friends at Google, uh, his donors that are affiliated with Silicon Valley, uh, when he's thinking about privacy, uh, consumer rights, competition, these people are his friends. These people help them yeah. get elected. So when it's time for him to get in office, there's no regulatory regime even looking at this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who but, do you think? But, but, but you, you say, hey, let, let us keep on going with this stuff. I, I mean, I, I'm for the freest of markets possible. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm for, I, personally, I'm for the freest of markets possible. Um, I think, you know, governments should be, you know, just the right size to protect your rights. Nothing more, nothing less, because then it becomes an infringement on your rights in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, but in that particular case, I mean, who do you think was cutting a 10, 20, 30,000, $100,000 checks for re-election campaigns and joint committees and whatnot? I mean, you know, some you know, folk talk a big game when it comes to money and politics, but everybody needs. I mean, the thing is that the, the money is the lifeblood of politics. Everything costs. You know, advertisements cost, digital marketing costs. Um, you know, you know, even from I me mean, from a, let's use the Obama campaign from a digital standpoint. I mean, you know, they got credit for creating a new way of engaging voters and engaging donors and whatnot. But you know, being honest about it, you know. They did the math and took the bet. Hey, you know, I could probably raise, you know, 20 bucks for every dollar we spend in political digital advertising and engagement and targeted engagement. You know, if I can come and grab these list of voters that I already know I'm, that are supporting me and, you know, build a model that engages voters like them, you know, we can we can we can win. I do think that there's um, there's some traction on the Democratic side uh, where Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, they both. Uh, because of the pressure coming from the the justice democrats uh and kind of the bernie sanders wing of the party uh they have said we're not going to accept corporate PAC money uh anymore uh which i think is a a positive uh step but i will say this if either one of them run for president don't be shocked that they have a, <laughs> they have a, a another super way PAC, to, another a, a, way there's, yeah. a, there's a super PAC supporting them everybody needs their sugar daddy in politics or sugar mama okay let's go back to baltimore how much agency uh, do we have on black or Democrat-controlled cities such as Chicago, uh, Baltimore, Detroit, where you've had the hip-hop mayor in Detroit, you ha you've had other black mayors, uh, you know, Baltimore, uh, hey, Democrats are in power, hey, you guys had your black politicians, uh, but it looks like hell, absolute hell. Uh, and so you guys wanted political power. You guys wanted mayors. You guys got all this stuff. But why do the places look like hell? There's, a, uh, uh, of course, as you know, a side that's like, it's white folks. That's why Baltimore's like that. Uh, that's why Detroit's like that. It's all white folks. But uh, what do you got to say about, hey, there's black politicians. There's black police chiefs. In a lot of these places, black people have a lot of influence on how that city is run. And even if it was 90% white supremacy, it should not be to the level of hell that some of these areas are in. I agree 100% with you. Um, we could take, let's take Baltimore, for example, right? 
when it comes to the city council and the mayor of Baltimore uh, spurring, spurring development, she's not putting, you know, worried about developing the depressed black areas. You know, you're not seeing, you know, all these, you know, you know, uh, incentivized dollars moving into Sandtown and, uh, you know, Pigtown and uh, Park Heights, you know. But you saw what happened on Harbor East. You know, you saw what they did at Fed Hill. You know, you saw, you know, you, you see what they're doing in a lot of these places um, where you're seeing new high rises and you're seeing, you know, the redevelopment and you're seeing the refurbishing of buildings and you're seeing, you know, the move in of, of businesses. Um, you know, local government does play a major role in a lot of things, um, more so than state government and federal government. I mean, it's easy to blame president or even a governor for something. But, you know, the mayor is where a lot of the power is held. Um, you know, you want a police department that doesn't abuse black black citizens. The mayor could demand it overnight. He could demand it overnight. And then, you know, you demand it overnight. You hire a commissioner that, and then give the commissioner the directive to, to say, okay, X, Y, Z policies we're going to put in place. Um, I mean, you know, what we're looking at today in Baltimore is a result of a lot of what Martin O'Malley did. I mean, when Martin O'Malley was mayor, you know, one in five black men were arrested. I mean, that's that's a lot of black, a lot of fucking people. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and you could be walking down the street and, and the jump out boy just grab you for no reason. You know, throw you holding for two, you know, two days or whatever, max they can hold you and then release you. No charge. You know, but their arrest numbers are through the, were through the roof. That was police policy. You know, that policy, you know, is directed, you know, by those elected. And I think, you know, a lot of folk, you know, don't necessarily make that connection between, you know, politicians promising me things that I don't see in the other three years. But in election year, they're making me these promises. Um, and then, you know, you know, two years later, three years later, I'm dealing with the Freddie Gray situation. Is your point of view that let Republicans run Detroit and Baltimore, the shit would be cleaned up? No, nope, not at all. My point of view is let's get good people elected. You know, and I think part of getting good people elected, you have to have some level of competition over your over your resource. You know, you know, right now, you know, Democrats are able to take black votes for granted because there's no other side there saying, "Hey, give me your vote. This is what I'll do. This is what I can do." Um, and all right, I, there is a playbook to run and win in a deep blue city. I mean, I have may or may not have it all figured out. But a big part of it is let me know how much you care before you want to know, you know, before I care about how much I, how much you know. Um, you know, a lot of times people will come in and say, hey, you know, do this, that, and the third, you know, but I don't care about, you know, what you're talking about because I know you don't really care about me. More than a, uh, a few entrepreneurs uh, have started by black apps, uh, mobile apps, uh, where, you know, they're connecting uh, conscious black consumers with, with black businesses. You have uh, invested uh, in your own app. Uh, where is that today? Uh, it's kind of, we got rid of it. Okay. Um, it was a good experience. It was a fun experiment. And what challenges did you have uh, scaling it? I mean, part, part, of, part, of the, part of the issue was, you know, how do we probably monetize on one end? But on the other end, you know, it, 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 it takes a very, it's going to take a major team to properly identify black businesses across the country. Um, and probably, I mean, maybe it's, you know, situation where you have smaller apps, you know, feeding into something major, you know, team in each major city or something like that. But part of our, I mean, part of our issue is that, yeah, you know, we can identify the popular spots. I mean, everybody knows about Park and Horace and Dickies and, uh, you know, Florida Avenue Grill and, you know, all the popular, but, you know, an app like that benefits, you know, the true black owned small business that, you know, may not have the big advertising budget. 
um, but you can drive traffic to them. And the issue that one of the issues that we came across was identifying those small businesses. They aren't, I mean, they aren't easily identifiable, you know, unless if you're not in the ground in a particular place. Today, Amazon announced that they're raising the minimum wage to $15. And so on the liberal side, Bernie Sanders is like, oh, you know, this is great. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers uh, got a pay raise uh, with this announcement. What's your reaction uh, to that from a policy perspective in terms of how you view uh, minimum wage increases? You know, it works for Amazon. Um, that may not be something that works for a lot of companies. Um, though I think people should be compensated fairly for their work, absolutely. Um, so you, you look at that as like most likely this is a positive thing. I mean, I think it's a it's, it's a positive thing because it works for Amazon. It works for Amazon. I mean, Amazon is you know super flush for cash. I don't think this is five years ago. Amazon is making that particular move. Your Thomas Sowell and kind of other Republicans, they may say, are libertarians, uh, are populists. They may say, uh, hey, Amazon may raise the minimum wage. Uh, but the only thing they're going to do is they're going to have less workers uh, and they're going, <laughs> to, they're going to invest more in robots, automation, where they've opened Amazon stores where there's no people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so while it makes you feel good as a Democrat or a liberal, it feels good like, hey, people are going to get pay increases. Well, the, the capitalist business is just going to have fewer employees. So some people are not going to be employed because they're going to probably want to hit the same numbers and they're going to say, you know what? Instead of having 5,000 robots out next year, maybe I'll have 500,000 robots. Yeah. I think, I think that that may be one of the uh, unintended, unintended consequences of uh, new NAFTA um, or, you know, USMCA, whatever Trump wants to call it. Um, is that, you know, you may see more manufacturing, but you're also going to see uh, more robots building cars and probably people. Um, yeah, the economy's changing. You know, economies change. And people have to keep up with the economy. Um, I mean, I think we're, to a degree, moving back to what could be a pre-industrial, and just using this as an analogy, what things are like before the Industrial Revolution, revolution where, you know, folk had a farm and they sold their crops or whatnot, and a return to, you know, individualism and entrepreneurship. Um, rather than going and working for the big, you know, corporation that, you know, kind of make, you know, you come clock your hours, do your job and, and roll out. Um, I think that's what we're moving to with the, you know, advent of the Internet, um, with the development of, of the Internet, um, with, you know, the Internet being such a tool that, hey, you know, you know, I can now distribute any service or product to millions of people at almost zero cost. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I mean, that, 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 that is ridiculously amazing. Um, and so I think, you know, when it comes to the minimum wage in particular, I, now I'm not necessarily somebody that argues for a minimum wage. I believe in a, you know, let's keep raising the maximum wage. Let's keep raising, you know, the most, you know, somebody can make, um, you know, but I'm also, I think people should, you know, if, if you have the stomach for it, go out and start your own thing, you know, get you some equity, you know, even Beyonce say, pay me, you know, pay off the debt and equity, you know, um, and and really, you know, build something out that you can pass on to, to your to your to your you know to your family, the next generation, um, and, and change what the starting spot is. You know, you might have started at zero, and I mean, your next your, your kids got to start at zero. What's your point of view to the black political observer who says, "Look, 
William Jefferson in Louisiana was caught with $90,000 in his freezer. Crazy. Kwame, the, the, the hip-hop uh, mayor in Detroit, he's in prison uh, for corruption. Mm-hmm. Ray Nagin, the, the Katrina hero, yep. he's in jail, I believe, still involved with corruption. What's your view to that political observer who says, look, all the white politicians are doing the same thing. These black people just got caught. Do you think that's the right kind of, you know, point of view that, that we should take when our political leaders are fortunate enough to get into office, but they're riding dirty. They're not doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, they're corrupt. I have zero tolerance for political corruption, white, black, Democrat, Republican. Um, you know, I think uh, Jack Johnson's, you know, the uh, county executive, PG County, you know, he was, I don't understand what it is with people getting caught with massive amounts of cash. You know, you're living on $150,000 a year salary. How the fuck do you walking around with 90 can cash? Just being honest about it. You know, it, it's crazy, right? Um, but for the same token, I mean, you have a Duncan Hunter, you know, him and his wife, you know, pretty much using their campaign, you know, federal campaign account as a slush fund. You know, so, I mean, I, 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 don't, I have zero tolerance when it comes to politi- political corruption. Um, so you're not, you're not buying into that. No, you know, because I mean, I mean, the thing it, is that the thing is this, you know, first of all, you're getting a, a great salary, you know. And if you can't, you know, if you can't, you know, necessarily live on that salary, then one, you probably need to increase your income legitimately somewhere else. Yeah. Or, or two, you know, or two, you know, if you can't balance that checkbook, how the hell can I expect you to balance this, you know, billion dollar checkbook or this multi-million yeah. dollar checkbook and budget, right? Um, I think that, that goes to the deeper part of it. But, you know, it's not a black or white issue. You know, I, I hate when folks were making Who that argument. What- yeah. Making an argument with Bill Cosby. They're like, oh, my gosh, you know, Harvey Weinstein and Donald Trump, they all did the same thing, but they got the black guy. So I said, Cosby's a serial rapist. He should be in jail. I mean, you know, maybe somebody will serve him a pudding pop, you know, you know, while he's in, you know, you know mid-max, you know. Uh, you know and you they'll know. believe him. And they'll uh, believe if, him, if, you know? if, if he says a prisoner gave me the pudding pop yeah. last night, you know, you know, yeah, you know, he, did, you know, he deserve it. Yeah. He's a nasty nigga. You know, he earned his nasty award. I don't think being soft on black political corruption uh, is going to be helpful for, for, for our community at all. And if the white folks are out molesting kids, doing corrupt stuff, Send shooting people. Uh, I like uh, prosecutors that are prosecuted. That doesn't mean that, you know, we want to promote and make excuses for when we uh, do these things in our community like you need to clean the mess up specifically in our own house mm-hmm. you know who cares if white folks are doing all these uh evil things you want to be able to be evil too that's not the way to to, no. to, to rise out of not oppression at not at all not at all i mean you know lock them all up yeah. now those are people that actually deserve to be in jail <laughs> i mean you give somebody power and they abuse it you know Make them feel the wrath of the power that they have. I want to thank Eugene uh, Craig for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Now, let it be, let it go, team, man. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamal and Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M O G U L D O M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.